Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a miracle made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made, come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fake the Nation, episode 328. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we crush bags of candy corn like they're a seasonal product because they are. I am your host, Nagita Farsad, and I talk a big candy corn game, but the truth is, I can eat like six of them before I look for a salad to balance it out. Today, we're going to talk about some general issues in the midterms. We'll also ask if mental health is political, and we'll dip into the cultural grab bag to see what Madonna is up to and what one random lady's pros and cons list is all about. Oh, I'm so excited about today's panel. Folks, I, oh, this panel, for the very first time, we get to have on this show co-founder of Betches Media and a host of the Morning Announcements podcast. I mean, by all accounts, she is a talented delight. It is the one and only Sammy Sage. Hey, Sammy. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to chat today and I love what we're about to get into. Oh, me too. Um, Okay, and also joining us for the gajillionth time on this podcast, (laughs) he is a veteran of Fake the Nation, Ian Vax gave his very first interview about the Cascatelli pasta shape that he invented. Uh, he is 
host of the Sporkful podcast, which everyone already, I'm sure, follows because it is incredible. It is the one and only Dan Pashman. Hey, Dan. Hey, Nagin. Yeah, my, my, my first interview about Cascatelli was right here on Fake the Nation. I would like to also um, get a percentage paid to me in pasta shapes. Uh, I'll pay you in candy you. corn. Okay, yeah. Oh, there, I will also <laughs> accept um, amounts of six of those. All right. Um, all right. Well, folks, before we get into the very first topic, I just want to remind you, you can host the um, host. You can't host this podcast. I host this podcast. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. Um, for as little as $4 a month, you get to have wonderful bonus episodes. And the bonus episodes is where we get a little like extra silly and ridiculous. Uh, so uh, support the show for as little as $4. You get a bunch of free stuff. It's awesome. All right. Let's get into it with topic number one. So the midterms are fast approaching. And with it come... Um, a slew of issues with a capital I. And I, I want to talk about a couple of them today. Um, the first one is inflation, but really, I think inflation masks itself in the question of gas prices. So, or they go kind of go hand in hand or whatever. I want you guys to explain to me the power of the price of gas. Like, why does it blind us to nearly everything else? In fact, if you look at the price of gas and see a strong, you will see a strong por- correlation. Like if the president is doing well, the price of gas is low, like in polls. If uh, if people think the, the the nation is on the wrong path, it's the price of gas is doing is up. And because it's been whipsawed so much in the last couple of years, uh, we're seeing a lot of up and down polls on whether or not people are happy. So tell me, can you just explain to me what this is all about and why it seems to be so central to the American perception of life? Sammy, you had your hand raised. And so like a good student, I shall call on you first. I was not sure. I was not sure if there's a, you know, signaling situation that you guys do, but, you know. Yeah, so Dan's a veteran. Dan's a veteran. So he knew, he was acting real cool. Um, but you, a uh, little eager, little eager, Sammy. Uh, no, go for it. What did you have to say? No, I mean, I think that, I mean, the price of gas is so psychological. It's, I think, one of those things that's sort of just one of those ingrained human biases, like the idea that, you know, plane crashes are scarier or feel more salient in our minds than car crashes, which are actually much more common. Um, And I think it's just kind of the function of how much it's, you know, how much we see it, whether or not, you know, you even are yourself driving a car or own a car or pumping gas, and also the way it's consumed in, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing else where, you know, when let's say you have a fixed budget, Um, And in that case, like the amount that gas takes up in that budget really starts to feel like it's going to constrict the rest of your life. And, you know, feelings are feel very permanent to people. So there is no sort of, you know, people aren't thinking like, oh, this will probably go down or, you know, it's actually just a function of global market forces, particularly in Europe, that's causing this. Like no one's really thinking about that. They're sort of just seeing the effect of, the fact that this is a need the way that, you know, I don't want to say food, water, and shelter are needs, but, you know, if someone has to drive to work, it's not an avoidable cost. 
Yeah, I would, I would, I think the way we perceive of it is kind of a, the same as food, water, and shelter. I think that's what's the, the crazy thing uh, about how we view it in the United States. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I agree with all that. I, and I would add, you know, I think look, all three of us are storytellers, communicators in one way or another, right? And when you're communicating with a lot of people, um, you know that it's, you're always, your message is always going to be more effective if it's very specific. If you have one specific detail that you can point to that is illustrative of a larger thing. And I think the media understands this. And so if you're writing an article, it, to say like the economy's bad or there's inflation, you know, what does that mean? When you say the price of gas is up, it's something very specific. It's one number. It's one number. And so it's much e easier and simpler to communicate to people like, oh, this is the, to, to take this one number and treat it as an indicator of much more than it's actually an indicator for. Also, by the way, the price of gas is the only price of anything that is plastered on gigantic signs everywhere. So when, even if you have an electric car, you know what the price of gas is. Even if you only ride a bike, you know the price of gas. So, you know, if they put the price of milk on every billboard, then we don't have a different perspective on that. But there is something just about the fact that it's on these gigantic signs everywhere that I think also you're very aware of what the price of gas is. Yeah, you were really aware of what the price of gas is. I mean, mine is if you live in Manhattan. Hey, what's up? I don't know the price of gas. I like just straight up don't know what it is right I was now. Say, I'm Nagin, so sorry. Do you know what? Do you know, would you be able to find gas if you needed it, Nagin? Uh, oh, you know what's funny? There was a gas station in my neighborhood uh, like that I remember years ago. And I only remember it because the sign fell down during Hurricane Sandy. <laughs> and then uh, and then they closed it. I don't know. So I guess they Now I assume it's determined... like a J. Crew in a, in a, a $6 <laughs> cup of coffee kind of day. Oh, my God. I honestly don't know what's there. Actually, it's probably a luxury condominium. That, right. Or it's an 80-20 condominium where 80% of it is luxury and 20% of it is affordable, which is like a building thing. Anyways, folks, doesn't matter. Point is, I don't know the price of gas. So this question for me is really like, it's it's really fascinating because I don't, I obviously, and I've mentioned this on the show before, I don't feel it that way. But in, in a July survey, voters, this is fascinating to me. Voters who said they filled up their gas tank more often were more likely likely to say the country was headed in the wrong direction. So people who just fill their gas tank a lot feel like the country is in the wrong direction. Um, and even among Democrats, the most optimistic were those who said they rarely fill up or have no car at all. So if you're a Democrat and you like basically don't need to fill up your car that much because you don't drive it like that much, right. like you think things are going great. Right. <laughs> so so the crazy. Democrats who are happiest are, are, are either... Um, very rich people who live in very nice neighborhoods of cities where they don't need a car and uh, the super hippies who are like in a Unabomber style shack. Right. Yes. Yes. Or, right. you know, I can also picture someone who's living in like Madison, Wisconsin, a very like that has like a walkable kind of area and they're just like, don't need to fill it as much. So it's just not something that's constantly grading on them. And the interesting thing to me again is um, is how much that ends up affecting your political worldview. I mean, I, that, that was the thing that was illuminating to me. I knew that it was always 
like an issue, right? Like a gas prices ever since I was a child. I mean, my, my first memories is probably of like Reagan talking about a gas price. I don't know. I'm making that up, but that seems like not far fetched. Right. Um, and so, uh, so I, so I think that's, what's interesting is that we, we can look at it and not even think of other issues. Now, let me actually bring up another issue that's so salient in the midterms right now, the Oklahoma, the gubernatorial, uh, debate that just happened recently. And it's a really, it's actually a competitive race, which I think is crazy because it's in Oklahoma, but it's between um, Democrat Joy Hoffmeister and um, and Kevin said is Republican. And Joy Hoffmeister said, the fact is that rates of violent crime in Oklahoma are higher under your watch than New York and California, she said to the Republican incumbent. And he was like, who believes that? That's crazy, whatever. But the fact of the matter is the rate of crime in Oklahoma is actually much higher than it is in New York City or California um, and, uh, and New, York, New York State. And so Crime is something that's really being weaponized right now by GOP candidates, even in situations like this, where the Democrats like, dude, like literally you're the one you, the GOP candidate are the one that's not handling crime very well under your watch. And even though the data is like absolutely crystal clear, (laughs) like the perception is not is not that the perception is that cities are really dangerous. The ones controlled, especially the ones controlled by Democrats, even though that's that's literally technically not the case. Uh, tell me why this is happening and how can we turn the tide? We've got two weeks. I kind of think it has something to do with how crime is portrayed in the media and what types of crimes are portrayed where. When you think about like the way that, you know, think about SVU or just crimes that take place in cities, they feel like very scary um, city oriented crimes. And then when you see how the media portrays, I would say more like rural crime or crime in suburbia, it's always like this lone detective solving this case that in this town where like no one ever expected anything to happen, but it did. And it's like this weird once in a million thing, but that's not really accurate because that, that kind of thing is happening more frequently in rural areas and certain red states, you know, the the top five uh, most crime heavy states are Republican run states. And yeah, but- I mean, just to like pause right there for a second. The top five most crime heavy states are Republican states. Like I just want to again for people out there who are talking to their family members or I don't know. It's, I mean, it is kind of one of those things where like where actual hard facts don't necessarily land, even though that's true. Sorry, go ahead. But I just wanted to reiterate that that statistic. No, ultimately, I mean, my point is just it's it's really a perception thing. And it's sort of, uh, you know, these tropes just sort of tend to live on amongst, you know, the public conscience. One of the things that really speaks to your point is that violent crime between 1991 and 2014 was almost halved, right? But if you look at um, polls during that time, that entire time, Americans would tell pollsters that crime was rising. So the perception was that it was rising, though the total reality was that it was completely falling. So right. it's crazy. Dan, explain it to me. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you know, sort of to put a finer point on what Sammy said, you know, the the 
when you see crime in cities depicted, it's often depicted as something that is endemic and commonplace. And when crime is depicted in the suburbs or in rural areas, it's the exception to the rule. And that we, that's just not the case, you know. Um, but it's also but just so. What should Democrats do, Dan, if they wanted to? So the GOP seems to be re- weaponizing this perception, the perception that is not reality. What should Democrats do? I don't know, Nagin. I I was one of the founding producers on Air America Radio, which is a progressive talk radio <laughs> network that launched in two thousand four with uh-huh. Rachel Maddow and Al Franken and Mark Maron oh my God. and Sam Cedar and Janine Garofalo. And we launched, and Liz Winstead, and we launched with this idea that that the truth is on our side. And if we just explain the facts to people, that it will be so persuasive that they, will, they won't help but be able to see <laughs> that oh, this is the truth so and this is the reality. Yeah. And um, what I learned from that experience was that that doesn't work. Yeah, it's so funny. I I literally used to listen. My mom would drive me around in the car and we would listen to Air America Radio. That was like our, um, we were like, you know, I, I, we were totally like, you know, sunk in by the Bush administration. Right. And um, that was like our, um, you know, catnip. So, you know, that was just too funny. I I think one of the things, like strategy wise, that we can look at is a guy like Eric Adams, like, you know, love him or hate him or whatever. He ran on this kind of like crime is a problem platform and uh, and he would, you know what I mean? Uh, so I, I, I think I'll, I'll give you a better answer to your question, which is, first yes. of all, Republicans are much, much better at um, tapping. First of all, at, at having an incredibly simple message picking one or two issues and just hammering them relentlessly and also picking issues and framing them in a way that they really tap, that they really hook into people's sort of like very deep lizard brains, your most base animalistic instincts of self-preservation and um, protecting those around you, uh, like caveman and cavewoman shit. And they are able to bring those things out. And Democrats are much more like, but we're not, we're, are we past all that? Democrats are also disorganized. Go to any march. Go to any march of liberals that are ostensibly marching for one issue, and you will see signs for 27 different issues. They cannot stay on fo- uh, uh, on task. and But that's partly just like the way that we tend to think about things and see connections between different things. So it's all about climate change. Of course, if the planet burns, it doesn't matter what the crime rate is. Well, yeah, but that's not how people who are afraid of getting shot think. Um, so you know, I think those are the big issues that we have working against us. Well, folks, you guys let me know what do you think your your politicians should be saying out loud in front of cameras about this issue. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm very curious to hear. All right, let's take a quick break to hear about our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll continue this chatter. I am the type of person that has subscribed to things and I have forgotten about those things. I have paid twice for a children's educational app. And I didn't know that I was paying twice for several months. Until that is, I discovered Rocket Money. And because I use Rocket Money, it just showed up all these things. The thing that I was paying twice for that made me incredibly angry. Thank God Rocket Money ended that for me. It also cancels the subscription for you. So you don't have to like go through the hassle of going to that site and figuring out how to cancel. They actually make canceling very difficult. I don't know if any of you have had the experience, but I have been on a like a roundabout eight exit nightmare trying to unsubscribe to something before. Rocket 
pocket money eliminates that hassle. It also alerts you to an increase in subscription price. And this is something Rocket Money did for me. It negotiates a lower price for something you already subscribe to. So like for my cable bill, it got me a lower price. And I was very happy about that. Nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about, which makes me feel better because I'm one of them. But it makes me feel terrible because what are we doing? Losing that money. Uh, I don't want to waste that money. And I know you don't want to waste that money. If you struggle with these kinds of purchases, if you struggle with finances in general, Rocket Money will help you with the budgeting, help you track your expenses, help you, like I said, cancel those unwanted subscription. It's a personal finance app that finds and cancels unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps you lower your bills so you can get back to saving. I mean, me and my husband have been on the warpath and Rocket Money has been a really big part of that. It has over 5 million users with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. The average member has saved up to $740 a year using the app's features, which is, I mean, that tracks for me. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions. Go to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Save the money at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And we are back. And before we get into topic number two, I just wanted to do a quick races to watch. That's electoral contests to watch. So today, what's so excited about races to watch is that Dan and Sammy have each brought in candidates that they're excited about and want to share with you. Dan, take it away. Well, I am very excited about the race for Congress in New York's first congressional district, which is my congressional district. And this is a new district after the maps were redrawn. So my oh, my former congressman, Tom Swazi, who was a centrist Democrat, he's leaving office. The, the uh, district was redrawn, so it now includes the entire eastern half of Long Island, which is basically Suffolk County. And it's it's been I've been fused into the district that, that was held by Lee Zeldin, who is now the Republican nominee for governor mm-hmm. of New York. Um, big Trump supporter guy. So my sort of middle of the road, slightly blue Hamlet has been fused in with some red and purple areas, and it's unclear what's going to happen. And Bridget Fleming is running as the Democrat for Congress in, the, in this new first district, and she's a great candidate. Newsday newspaper calls her one of the most active and effective lawmakers in the country. She is a legislator in the Suffolk County legislature. She was a, a former prosecutor for years. She is from this area. She knows the area, and she's been effective in in making positive changes. And um, and it's it's uh, this is a swing district, and I think if if Democrats, especially in the town of Huntington area, 
and around Stony Brook come out, then we can put Bridget Fleming into Congress. Bridget Fleming, folks, get that name seared into your mind. Do you know anyone who live, lives in the 1st Congressional District in New York? Let them know, Bridget Fleming. Bridget and let Fleming. Them know that they've been, let them know they've been redistricted and that they are, even if they didn't think they were in a swing district before, if you're in, if you live in Suffolk County, New York, you're probably in a swing district now. So get out and vote for Bridget Fleming. Get out and vote. Yeah, your vote actually counts. It's, we're so used to a lot of a lot of dis, New York, districts in New York are used to just being like, ah, right, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Well, this one but matters. It does. It does. Sammy, who do you have for us? Well, first, I just have to say that that is too funny because I literally just less than two weeks ago moved to this redistricted district. Are, are we neighbors now, Sam? We, I think we must be. Oh my god, we gotta let's hang just, out. We honestly, because I just am figuring out, and after before I came on this podcast, I was about to call the Suffolk County Board of Elections to figure out how to get my. Now that I realize I'm in a swing district, I'm trying to not do the absentee to New York City route, and so that's where I just moved out of. Anyway, I am I am definitely going to be voting in that election if I can get the Board of Elections on the phone. Anyway, my my candidate is um, the Iowa Democratic candidate for senator, Michael Franken, who is running against Republican stalwart Chuck Grassley, um, and I think that honestly, you know. I was pretty surprised to hear that this was that Michael Franken was actually gaining some late momentum, particularly with independents. Um, and also this guy, I, you know, I'm, I was not particularly exposed to him. I'm obviously not an Iowa voter. And the Iowa Senate race that Chuck Grassley was in was not really on my radar. But I did, you know, see a few clips of this Michael Franken, and he is a very compelling candidate. I could definitely see you know, why, you know, I get, you know, here's the thing. What do I know as the person from the first district of New York? Um, <laughs> but, but, um, you know, I just felt that that was a very interesting race that was, um, sort of, you know, not being watched and seemed to be, you know, potentially have a shot, you know, there seems the Democrats potentially have a shot there with this candidate who I thought um, was very interesting and perfect for Iowa. Michael Franken in Iowa, folks. Michael Franken in Iowa. And I want to point out to you guys that the Secretary of State race in Nevada is really interesting because there's an election denier running against the Democrat Cisco Aguilar. So check out Cisco Aguilar, the Democrat in this, the Secretary of State race in Nevada. Uh, oh, Nevada. Nevada's so interesting. <laughs> um, and also, I just want to point out, like I did last week, um, just a couple of last minute resources. The Movement Voter Project is really wonderful. I just did an event with them. They basically uh, raise money and then give it to the grassroots organizations on the ground that are trying to turn out the vote. So if you're just like totally at a loss of where to get, put your money, I really think that Movement Voter Project is a fantastic place to do that. And then the other place, again, if you're looking to like figure out some canvassing volunteering opportunities, figure out some uh, phone banking opportunities, go to Vote Save America. They have all of that for you. And those guys are really great. Now let's get into topic number two. So we read a piece in the New York Times by Danielle Carr called Mental Health is Political. And it and in it, she talked about the idea that we're in a mental health crisis. Um, and she writes, but a, a crisis that affects mental health is not the same as a crisis of mental health. To be sure, symptoms of crisis abound, but in order to come up with effective solutions, we have to first ask a crisis of what? So first off, I guess like to answer the question of whether we're in 
um, is, sorry, first off, I think we should answer the question of whether or not we're in a crisis of mental health. We're in an interesting point in this kind of like post, whatever you want to call it, sort of pseudo post pandemic. Um, so sort of first off is like, do you still feel we're in that kind of acute mental health crisis point that we seem to have been? And then we can talk about, um, uh, cars issues about the reification of, of mental health. I mean, I, I don't know if I really feel comfortable judging whether or not we're in a crisis. No, I want or, whatever you say is the absolute <laughs> truth of what's happening in the country, yes, well, uh, Dan. So that's uh, uh, get, as the get Surgeon General of this show. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, well, that's accurate. <laughs> um, you know, uh, yes, it's yeah. I mean, look, everything's political. I host a food podcast. People are like, I don't politicize food. Like, food's political. Everything's political, um, and everything was always political. And if it wasn't political before, it's just because you weren't paying attention, or you know, people weren't you know thinking very deeply about it. Like, everything gets back to something political. Um, I, I, you know, like I, I, it does seem that there's some kind of a crisis. I do also worry about like the moving line of like w- what is. A mental health issue and what is within the within the spectrum of standard deviation. Yeah, you know, right. Of mm-hmm. what's quote unquote normal. Um, you know, like I, I probably would have been diagnosed with something when I was a kid. I couldn't wear wool sweaters; it was too scratchy in the back of my neck. Um, I used to right. I used to hate it. My parents would bring me to Lincoln Center to see the the little orchestra society do Peter and the Wolf, and all I remember from that is the scratchy sweaters. Um, so. Um, now, of course, that's not to minimize the fact that there's plenty of people like there's there's a lot of good that also comes from increased awareness. It's just something that I worry about and don't have an easy answer to. I will say that are they one of the things that's interesting about the politicization of mental health is that I think it it fits in with a larger narrative, which is that the right puts itself forward as being sort of strong. So much of these polit- our political divides are about like strength and weakness. Um and there's still this undercurrent, this unspoken idea that mental health issues are an indication of weakness. Um, and talk, even, even something as simple as talking about your feelings is a sign of weakness. These things also, no accident, these things are associated with, with traditional femininity, which also like, is obviously incorrectly considered weak. And, but I think that there's, these ideas are so ingrained, and I think that Republicans are very good at capitalizing upon them. And so the idea that you are having trouble getting out of bed means you must be weak or lazy, not that you have a legitimate medical issue. Um, that's how they would put it. That's not what I'm saying. So, so Sammy, in, in the piece, she says that basically we have this tendency of, of reification when it comes to these things. Reification she says swaps out a political problem for a scientific or a technical one. So, for example, you know we, you know we look at the unfa- un, uh, the effects of unregulated uh, tech oligopolies, and instead we call that social media addiction. Or we look at climate catastrophe caused by corporate greed, and instead we call that a heat wave, right? So instead of like looking at the 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 root problem, we we instead focus a lot of our attention and our political attention on the result. Um, so what do you do? You think we have this tendency? Yeah, I mean, I think if you kind of com- whatever you want to call it, I think if you sort of combine all of those things that you just named, and you know call that the conditions of modern life in America, you get 
a, you get a set of circumstances that are not, that are actually conducive to very poor mental health. So like you can call it a mental health crisis and like go ahead and, you know, provide free better help for everyone and like medicate people or whatever band-aids you want to put on it. But ultimately that doesn't solve the problem that like the average person is, you know, has a scale of worries that include like their child's getting shot in school for, or the fact that if they have a medical emergency, they won't be able to pay for anything. Um, the cost of gas, you know, all of these things, you know, and the demands of social media, the demands of people's jobs. Um, and I think that ultimately, like the set of circumstances we live in are not really conducive to human beings having mental health, like having good mental health. And um, if you, I think if you explore like any particular condition, they tend to be, to have an onset that's due to stress or circumstances or a trauma. And when you're like just kind of hitting the populace with trauma after trauma, COVID included, obviously, or, you know, various, you know, you get kicked out of your house because of a wildfire or a flood, like all these things that are happening to people are really, really deeply stressful things. Yeah. I, I, I totally, um, totally agree. And I think the other thing that I think that happens is this weird, like we don't have patience for late, like we want labeling immediately and we don't exercise any kind of patience with it. I don't know if, if I, what argument I'm making here, but I, I kind of think like the stuff with COVID, it's like everyone was like sad and upset, which is super, obviously they're going to be sad and upset. It was a really traumatic event that was happening worldwide, you know? So that, so to me, that's like not necessarily a crisis of mental health is, is like, we need to like be patient to see how this thing turns out. And then whatever happens in the fallout from that, we'll look at that and see what that is. But like for the, you know, in the beginning, it just seemed like we were like, there's a crisis of mental health. It's like, is it a crisis of mental health where everyone's just like really sad because this thing sucks, which is normal, which is kind of what you were saying, Dan, is like sometimes we take things that are just like, a normal reaction to something being shitty and we call it something like... We call it a crisis, right? We call it a crisis. I also just wonder how much of this is just because there's so much information and so much communication and now we know about all these terrible things happening that that 50 years ago, like, things would have happened a thousand miles away. You never would have heard about it. And right. I mean, people, people were afraid, though, like, in the, you know, during the Cuban Missile Crisis and all they had was, like, a daily paper. And it still felt existential then, so I I do agree that the assault of information does hurt does really really make it absolutely worse. But even people who are not like following Twitter or the news and all of this stuff and like aware of every single story, maybe they're getting it from their Facebook feed. I feel like the question is like why isn't there time for anyone to slow down and sort of accept or pro or pro you know process the effects of a global pandemic and having to figure out how to parent and right. this giant social movement like at what point does the answer just kind of become like oh it's because that would be too costly for them to do yeah right. and right. and right because i think the root problem of like so much of this shit is just financial stress right we don't like we don't have a 
basic bed of financial security. None of us, you know, at, I mean, I'm not talking about the rich people, but I'm just talking about like everyday workaday people just don't have that. And, uh, and that has led to, uh, like a, a kind of stressful living that we've all grown accustomed to, but it isn't normal. And we shouldn't have to live this way because we're a really, 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 really rich country. And it makes people easier. It makes it easier for corporations to exploit people because they know that they they need to keep doing this. And it just, cre- and I mean, I just can't, I would love to imagine like a world in which a health condition or some other emergency didn't mean that, you know, you were going to completely lose everything you have. Right. So I you think have to the wonder thing- what that would look like. That sounds crazy, Sammy. I don't know if that's going to fly. <laughs> yeah. Well, you just, you just have to wonder what like the sort of knock on effects of people's lives would be if they right. like didn't lose everything, if they stopped right. working. If, for if you removed one like existential dread. Yeah. What would the world look like? Yeah. That, yeah. But I, I will say I, I, I agree with everything you both just said. This is a, a little bit to the side, but something that I'm thinking about as we're talking, and just sort of the gen, this general feeling that I see on social media all the time: everything's a garbage fire, everything's horrible, the world is right. so awful. Right. Uh, uh, my wife and I, we took our kids. We were in Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago, and we went to the Museum of the American Revolution, which was excellent. Really enjoyed it. The kids enjoyed it, and there was a lot in there about how much the founding fathers strongly disagreed with each other before the revolution and after. Um, and and there was things in there about accusations of voter fraud in the early 1800s, um, all kinds of things with very uh, uh, shrewd parallels to today. And at some point, about three quarters of the way through, I turned to my wife and I said, oh, people in this country have never gotten along. <laughs> That's what I'm taking away from this museum. We we most like this was a shotgun marriage from the beginning. Yeah. And we never really liked each other. And we're still fighting about the same shit. Uh, and in a way that I, I, I found that somewhat comforting. And I want to say, despite that, or maybe because of it, have also become paragons of technological innovation, paragons of medical innovation, um, like a, 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 a bright light of democracy in the world for most of the, uh, you know, the, the 20th and 21st century. Like there's so much that is absolutely amazing Maybe because of the craziness of the origins of the country. You know what I mean? I don't know. Right. I just push back against the idea that, like, there's this assumption that, like, it's so much worse now, whatever it is, that things are bad right, now. Right, right, right. It's be always better. been, right, right. It's always, it's always that way. And I just, I always want to push back against that idea. You know, like, yeah. there was a fascist attempt to overthrow the government, the American government in, like, 1944. I didn't even yeah. know about that until a few weeks ago I was reading about it. So, like, you know, it, 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 that, that doesn't mean we shouldn't care. <laughs> not saying that. No, um, no. Just saying that, like, you know, just have perspective. And I think I mentioned on this show before, I was talking to the artist Marilyn Minter about, like, the current political situation. And she's been around and, um, and, uh, I don't know, I don't know specifically how old she is, but she was talking about, like, you know, the 60s and 70s and the political conditions then. And she's like, oh, this is all cyclical. Like, it'll, it comes, it goes, you feel good, you feel bad. Like, whatever. You know what I mean? She was just like, fight. You got to fight. We always fought. You And now you have to fight. You know what I mean? And so, and I think that's exactly kind of what you're you're saying, Dan. It's like everyone has always felt bad, always. All right. And that, on that positive <laughs> note. On that happy note. <laughs> let us move on to topic number three. 
This is uh, also known as the dumb stuff segment uh, because we're just going to talk about some dumb stuff. In a recent interview, Madonna reflected on the release of the erotica album in her sex book uh, 30 years ago. And this is what she said. She said, now Cardi B can sit and maybe she said it in a like a vaguely British accent. Remember how she was doing that for a while? Now Cardi B can sing about her WAP. Kim Kardashian can grace the cover of any magazine with her naked ass. And Miley Cyrus can come in like a wrecking ball. Uh, she wrote, you're welcome, bitches. Okay, so that's Madonna about her particular role in this sort of um, trajectory of uh, of lady empowerment. What is she right, Sammy? I mean, sure, but she could also be like, who sh- if, if they need to thank me, who should I thank? That's more uh-huh. interesting. I'm curious who she has to thank. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, yeah, I hadn't thought. I mean, yeah. I, I sort of yes. That's an interesting. I like that take, Sammy. I, I I guess I sort of feel like you can't fault Madonna for having braggadocio. Like that's Madonna. Like to to say that she should be modest and quiet about her the earlier her part of role, her career. Yeah. Right. Like like then she wouldn't have done the things she did in the first place. So like that that's not Madonna. She's got to do her. Also, I want to just say like. So many musicians take on that position. And in fact, 95% of hip hop is like how awesome you are. You know what I mean? (laughs) And so I feel like for Madonna to be like, I'm awesome and let me count the ways or whatever is like, you know, it's fine. It's like we don't generally like see it from like, like, you know, nice, nice lady pop stars or whatever. Like Taylor Swift isn't taking on this persona necessarily, um, but it's okay. Like, I think it's fine for Madonna to take it on. When this thing trended on Twitter, the, you know, the human cesspool that we should all avoid Twitter, uh, I was noticing that a lot of people were like, Madonna did not pave the way for anything that has to do with black women. And I was like, thought that was an interesting, uh, like an interesting take because I don't know, like if something good were to happen to me as an Iranian American, who specifically could I thank if I'm not allowed to just thank all types of women? Like I, I, I view like anything that I might be able to do, I will go ahead and attribute it to a various races of ladies. <laughs> So I so I'm sort of like what like I don't understand that argument particularly, but I'm you know, I'm not black, so it doesn't matter. But like, but if I were to put that argument in Iranian terms, I would I just be like, well, that's weird. I don't have anyone to thank then. You know what I mean? And I'm not gonna pretend like I'm some sort of like uh, trailblazer. You know what I mean? So what do you think about like the, there was this backlash of her um, taking credit and naming women who uh, who are black? Well, I think it is, It you know, I think she probably was just thinking of people who have like edgy, you know, sexual, yeah, 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 sexualized performances in this day more than she was thinking about like the fact that she was specifically calling out black women. But I think that just sort of speaks to her like lack of consciousness in this area. Um, To your point, I agree. Like if, if you can't think just generally the people who came before you, then who can you thank? But at the same time, like, (laughs) it's not, it's not like any one person. Like it's, you know, there were black women who were working on white women's suffrage. So white women have black women to thank for that. So it's, 
you know, I think it's, it's hard to kind of like parse through that. But do I understand certain people being like, I don't like that comment from Madonna about these performers? Sure. That, let but them I also say that. Say, like having grown up in the 80s and 90s, Madonna was a big fucking deal. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't know if it's still very clear to everyone the extent of her big fucking dealness. Like, she was right up there with Michael Jackson. She was just a global phenomenon. Every move she made was just endlessly dissected. Um, and she was a big deal. She was like Beyonce then, right? Like, everything she did, everyone talked about. Uh, so I do think that some, you know, that she, we can't pretend like she didn't have an impact, right? Like, so, because everything she did was so utterly, um, deconstructed and analyzed. It's like, she must have had some kind of impact on the way things then played out, um, in pop music. So I'm, you know what? I'm going to give it to her. I'm going to give it to her. Um, all right. <laughs> Let's also talk about now, there's a woman who accidentally sent her boyfriend a list of pros and cons about himself, right? So she was like trying to decide whether or not to break up with this dude. And then she wrote, she wrote the following. She wrote, he looked, um, these are the pros. He looks after me, knows me really well, smells really good. I love his eyes. I love his laugh. I love his hugs. And he's good at cuddling. I love the way he says, I love you. I love when he holds my face. I love his kisses and the way he uses his tongue. All right. So she said all of those things in the pros column. But in the in the cons column, she wrote, uh, I hate the way he looks when the sun is bright. He never... <laughs> <laughs> so harsh. I mean, as she better move somewhere light. foggy. So I know it's like get get a ring light that might do better. Uh, he never listens to me. He's gained weight and looks fat. He's lazy. He doesn't want to travel. He avoids confrontation. He avoids talking about important things. He can't sing. He wants to have sex all the time. He spends too much money and he doesn't save. Uh, Dan, <laughs> those last like two were redundant just... for the record. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dan, you look like you were like dying for this guy. Like just, uh, you were like going to slink into a corner. What did you, can they recover from this list? Like picture it. You receive this list from a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a f- gentle friend. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what this do you would, think? This would, if it, if this was sent to me, this would hurt. Um, the what, <laughs> the what about the, I hate the way he looks with take from yeah. Dan. <laughs> it's like these are such opposite extremes. Like when you read the first part, you're like, oh, this is really nice. Yeah. You know, like there's a lot of really nice things in here. Um it, it also feels like some of these things feel a little contradictory. Like he looks after me and knows me really well, but he never listens to you. Well, how does yeah, he how does he know sense. you so yeah. well if he doesn't ever listen? Um, you know, he's gained weight and looks fat. Well, I hate to break it to you, but anyone you're going to be with for the long haul, that's going to happen to them. Okay. Um, so, and, um, but like, whatever, I'm not going to comment on the guy's looks, but, uh, he's lazy. doesn't want to travel. I mean, a lot of these are lazy, lazy, doesn't want to travel and doesn't save. Like it just sounds a little bit like a, like a lump. Um, (laughs) his biggest strengths are cuddling and holding her face. Like, like basically he doesn't want to get out of bed. Yeah. All the things he's right. good at don't involve getting out of bed. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the more that I think about it, the more I think she should probably let him go. Right, right. This doesn't sound like a great relationship. Sammy, what do you think? 
You know, it's funny. This actually triggered a memory when I was like a freshman in college. I found my roommate had a pros and cons list about her boyfriend. And um, so I don't even remember what was on it, but it, you know, I never forgot about it clearly. Um, But I, um, (laughs) I, the first thing that struck me also was how contradictory some of the things are. It's like you love his eyes, but you hate how he looks in the bright sun. And, but, but on balance, it did seem like there was a, unless this is like temporary for him, that he's just lazy right now, like in a post pandemic, maybe fashion. And this maybe isn't reflective of who he is, but let's say it is reflective of who he is. Then it seems like she wants a different type of life than, than he's going to give her. He's doing right, 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 right. You know, right. So it it does seem like there's a a fundamental mismatch, some like very core issues. Yeah, Uh, exactly. Okay. So so I I think that the position of fake the nation is that this is a breakup with him situation. Well, he broke up with her, didn't he? Because of, oh, after after she sent it to him. Right. Yeah. I mean, how can you even like be with someone? Isn't that Receive that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he made the job easy for her, I guess. But either way, the list clearly illuminates. I think the idea of writing a list and having the negative part, the the cons part be so bad, you know, because a lot, some of these things feel just like in like insurmountable. And I'm talking about more of the laziness stuff. If you're thinking about this over the long term, you know, like uh, appearances, of course, you want to be attracted to your partner. But like, I, like that—that's not the stuff that's going to make or break your relationship over the long term. And right. so the fact that a lot of the things that he that are in the pros are like that he smells good, and uh, you love his eyes. That's just pheromones, right? You love his eyes and his laugh and his hugs, cuddling. That, that's all nice. That does that stuff does matter. But like you know, uh, uh, a fundamental difference in how you want to live your lives. Like if you're the kind you of person who doesn't like hugs and snuggles elsewhere. That's right. But you gotta find like if you if you like to travel and be active and care about saving money, don't marry someone who wants to lie in bed all day buying things on the internet. Yeah, I I, I also think um, it's interesting because like if she was feeling that way, I I'm surprised she even needed a list. <laughs> Like, it seems seems so clear that the list, it you know, the nice things are really nice, but they're kind of superficial and, like, right. don't matter, right? And then the bad things are, like, so bad. Like, they are indifferent, you know, they have completely different goals in life or whatever. So, um, I don't know. I, 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 think, I think the idea of list making is great. And I also think that in this case, she, like, didn't even need one. It was so obvious, like, this, this should be over. Um, and if I received a list like that, okay, here's my last question about this. If you receive this list, is there a part of you that would take it seriously and like, look at yourself and what, you know, how you're perceived by someone? That or is would you exactly just be like, this fucking, okay. yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> like, you wouldn't be like, you know, well, here's the thing that she's full of shit. In the end, in the end, she didn't even break up with him after she sent the list. So clearly, right. my my thought is maybe like he did take a serious look at the list, get his life together, and he's like, I deserve better than than someone who right makes a list Feels about deciding way. to break up with me rather than trying to talk 
me through, you know, this phase. But right. that's just my fantasy about what happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, if, if he's going to get this list and not be at all introspective, then add that to the list of cons. Yes. Right, 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 right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally, totally. No, and then also, what kind of guy is he if he gets this list and is like, you know what, we can still make it work? Like, because then it also feels like he will will then have to go through the task of fundamentally changing himself, and maybe that, or or some of these things. I look, dude, if you really are that lazy. I would look into that, like fundamentally change that, you know, or whatever. Like, um, also, like, wh- how do you look in the bright sun? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. There, there are some things in there that. Like, Imagine yeah, if that was I, the only thing he he reacted to. He just like went out and bought a new pair of sunglasses. At the very least, <laughs> and he's like, I'm not changing anything but, else. I'm no, just get sunglasses. he has to buy. He has to buy a pair of like blurry glasses for the people he's right. with so they don't have to like look at his face maybe a big visor sun. one of those huge sun yeah, yeah 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 something that can like yeah could, could, like because so he permanently has an instagram filter on his face that's what he needs to do all right folks let me know have you sent your pros and cons list to the person that it is not designed for to be seen sentence structure uh let me know i'm so curious All right, folks, we've come to the end of the show. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. I want for the people of Fake the Nation to be able to follow you and all the wonderful things that you do. Dan Pashman, where do they do that? Well, you can listen to the Sporkful Food Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, you can buy my pasta-shaped cascatelli. Uh, It's sold by Sfolini. And you can buy it uh, uh, at some Whole Foods in the New York area, a bunch of other stores around the country. Um, and you can just order it and have it shipped directly to your door. You buy it at Sfolini.com. That's S-F-O-G-L-I-N-I.com. Man, you're the only person I know that sells a unique pasta, Dan. You have, uh, I can't say that I know others. You're it, you're <laughs> it. It's an odd claim to um, fame, but I'll take it. Yeah, it really is. Um, Sammy, where do people find you? I sadly have no pastas to promote, but um, you can find uh, which me Which is on why Instagram. we really should have thought twice about booking you. <laughs> I mean, we look, really... <laughs> pa- pasta is very important to me. And I am now like not, not thinking about how I can create my own shape, potentially. <laughs> anyway, you can find me without my pasta um, at on Instagram, at Sammy, on Instagram. TikTok or Twitter at Sammy Sage says, and you can listen to my daily podcast, The Morning Announcements. I do five minute breakdowns of the headlines in, you know, every day, Monday through Friday. And, you know, it has a little bit of snark and, you know, some opinions that if you liked any of my opinions here, you might like what I have to say there. Uh, Definitely subscribe, uh, follow, do all of those things. And folks, you know where to find me, but I just want to remind you, you can support the show by going to patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad. And for as little as $4 a month, which is less than a cost of a latte, uh, you can support the show. And maybe the show means something to you and, and, and you have the, you know, the extra four bucks. Uh, also, I will be 
doing the Wait Wait Don't Tell Me stand-up tour in Dallas and Austin in December. In Dallas and in Austin. So if you're in one of those two towns, I hope you can come out. Um, it's going to be a really fun show. Uh, we just um, finished doing a couple shows in Ann Arbor and Kalamazoo, and we had such a great time. So this, this, uh, this tour is really, really great. And I would love to thank all the people that make this show a possibility. That's our wonderful producer, Andrew McGuire, our fantastic audio engineer, Stephanie Aguilar, and our theme music was written by the amazing Gabby Alter. And thank you to everyone at HeadGum for making this show a possibility. If you have any races to watch, go ahead and uh, hit me up at faithinationheadgum.com or uh, you can you know, reach me on all the social medias and we'll be back in your earballs next week. That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>